This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. For the past month, a group of top American scientists have put aside their day jobs to fight COVID-19. Their goal is to shorten the battle against this disease from years to months. They want to get the best ideas through to the right people so that by summer, we are in a way better position than we are now. That was reporter Rob Copeland. He says these scientists aren't an official part of the government's response, but their ideas have been gaining traction at the highest levels of power. I spoke to someone involved in the vice president's task force who described it to me like this. He said, every day we're getting hundreds of people who say they have the silver bullet. They say they have the idea. Almost none of them get through the gates. These guys get through the gates. Today on the show, how this group of scientists is getting their ideas to the most powerful people in government. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Wednesday, April 29th. This elite group of American scientists came together in an unusual way. It started with a relatively unknown 33-year-old named Tom Cahill. Tom Cahill is sort of your average dude in a way. You know, he buys his pants at Costco and he jokes that, you know, for his own wedding, which is coming up, he needs to buy it, his second suit of his life. And he is both a trained physician and a scientist. He's an MD, PhD. And two years ago, he was still a student. And he thought he was just going to be doing ordinary research for his career, hoping to help discover new things about genetics. Tom didn't end up devoting his career to research. Instead, he got a job at a private equity firm in Boston, focusing on science and technology investments. So Tom does this for a few years, and he then decides, you know what, I can go out on my own and start my own fund. Tom's first year at his own fund was a success. He raised $125 million from wealthy investors like Peter Thiel, the Silicon Valley investor, Steve Pagliuca, co-chair of Bain Capital and co-owner of the Boston Celtics, and Brian Sheth, a private equity magnate in Austin, Texas. Because of the biotech companies he invests in, Tom also has a network of prominent scientists from universities like MIT and Harvard. And that's how a young guy who wears Costco clothes and lives in a one-bedroom winds up on his first step towards being at the center of all of this. After coronavirus began showing up in the headlines, Tom's investors started asking him lots of questions about the virus. All of a sudden, it's the only scientific and medical topic that matters. And though he has investments in these other companies which are trying to solve these other long-term cures, all anyone wants to hear about is coronavirus. So instead of talking to everyone individually, he says, look, why don't I organize a conference call for our investors and I'll bring on a few scientists and we'll just sort of talk through what we're thinking about it. But not with the idea of you giving us more money, just with the idea of sort of having a, a dialogue about what's going on. 
Okay, so what ended up happening with the call? This is mid-March. Tom expects about 20 people to be on the call. And the first warning for him that something is up is when he himself tries to dial into the call and he can't get in because it's over capacity. The next sign that something was up was when his cell phone rings and it's Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA. And Adam Silver had heard about the call, wanted to get in, and he also couldn't get in. Why would he have known that this call was happening? So several of Tom's investors own NBA teams. So they passed along word to Adam Silver, and Tom wouldn't have even known that Adam was dialing in, except that it was so over capacity that the only thing Adam could do was call Tom himself. So that's when Tom says, holy moly, this is turning into something. Hundreds of people were on the call, most of whom Tom Cahill had never even met before. Even the investor Michael Milken found his way there. It turned out that Tom's investors had spread the word about the call, and lots of people wanted to listen in because they would be discussing potential solutions for the pandemic. There's a sense of desperation among these masters of the universe who have truly been able to solve pretty much everything that has happened. Coronavirus is totally different. No amount of wealth can stop it from killing you if you have certain conditions. And so there's a certain level of desperation among these investors. On the call, Tom told his audience he'd essentially put aside his investing work for now. And he talked about how he and some others were working to find possible cures and treatments for COVID-19. So Cahill hangs up and he says, "Okay, that went pretty well. And then almost immediately, his email inbox just starts blowing up. He's getting emails from people he didn't even know were on the call. And more importantly, he's getting emails from people who are connected to the vice president, who, remember, is in charge of the coronavirus task force. And that's when Tom realizes, I have a line to the decision makers here, and I should do something with that opportunity. So what does Cahill do? Tom's first move is to formalize some of the relationships that he has. He's had some scientists on that first call. He says, hey, why don't you guys pull in sort of the Justice League of everyone that you would want to be involved in an effort. Okay, so who did he call first to assemble the Justice League of Scientists? So his first call is to a man named Stuart Schreiber. And Stuart is at Harvard University. He's a geneticist. He's one of the world's preeminent DNA researchers. And Stuart says, yes, I'm in. Stuart took it from there and began assembling his dream team of scientists. They were looking for the biggest celebrity names they could so that when they called the FDA or other government agencies, it would catch someone's attention. The final group that Stuart Schreiber assembled is made up of 12 scientists. One of them is Tom Cahill. The others are from a variety of fields. Immunology, epidemiology, biology, chemistry. There's a nuclear scientist who specializes in national security. The group includes a Nobel laureate who told Rob... There's no question that I'm the least qualified. But these scientists knew that in order to be taken seriously, it couldn't look like they were profiteering. Very early on, they came together and they said, we need to make a list of companies that could be affected by this, good or bad. And everyone here needs to sign a piece of paper, a legal binding document that says, I am going to sell everything I have related to those companies because they did not want anything untoward. And they did it. I spoke to many of the scientists who called their brokers and sold some of their holdings. 
In fact, one person connected with the group said he couldn't do that, and they booted him out. These scientists got to work. The official name of the group is somewhat bland, Scientists to Stop COVID-19. But there's another nickname they use, the Manhattan Project. That's a nod to the group of scientists in World War II who helped develop the first atomic bomb. That seems like a little bit of hubris. You know, having spent some time now talking to some very accomplished scientists, I will say there's no shortage of hubris in this group. Whatever the name, the group is now going through as many scientific papers as they can and as fast as possible. There is a ton of studies from all around the world coming out on the coronavirus. Almost none of them are peer-reviewed. They're spending their day all day, every day, reviewing dozens of papers, going into the footnotes, saying, hey, there's something wrong here. Hey, we can't trust this. What they're doing is filtering ideas that are out there and trying to set those aside. For example, the group dismissed a drug, hydroxychloroquine, promoted by the president as a useful treatment for COVID patients. They also dismissed the idea that antibody testing would be a good way to determine who should be allowed to go back to work. That's because there's little evidence that people who have antibodies aren't still contagious. But the group also had a lot of ideas they thought could work. And to get those ideas in motion, they needed the right connections. And here's where Tom Cahill in particular comes in. Remember, his investors include some of the wealthiest people in America. Some of the wealthiest people in America tend to know politicians. They donate to them, they socialize with them. And so Tom Cahill just starts reaching out to his network and saying, hey, how can I get this in front of the president? And he starts to have some success. Tom calls one of his investors, a man named Brian Sheff. He's a young private equity founder in Austin, Texas. Brian is actually a Democrat, but Brian knows Tommy Hicks Jr. Tommy Hicks Jr. is the co-chairman of the RNC. Brian Sheth, the investor, made the connection between Hicks and the working group. Hicks warned them he's not a scientist, but he could maybe help with some of the red tape they were facing. And the scientists were facing red tape. One of their major ideas was increasing production of a type of therapy known as monoclonal antibodies. So the group figures out that monoclonal antibodies are basically a short-term vaccine. They both protect people who don't have the disease yet. They provide a level of a barrier against it. And for people who do have COVID, they actually lessen the symptoms. Now, there's a big problem with this, and that is that it's a relatively niche drug. So there's just not too much of it around. But they're super, super jazzed about it. So they start talking to a number of manufacturers of it, and they say, hey, how could we get more of this made? One of those manufacturers that could make this type of antibody drug is the pharma company Regeneron. One of the members of the group uh, is Ed Skolnick. He's a former Merck executive. And Ed knows everyone who's anyone at a pharmaceutical company. So he calls some buddies at Regeneron. And he says, hey, we really love this drug. Is there any reason why you couldn't make more of it? Regeneron said there was a reason they couldn't make more. The company needed to open up space in its U.S. factories. And to do that, it needed approval from the FDA. The scientists tried to use their connections to fix that. Ed says, okay, let me call the FDA. And it doesn't go well. They're essentially told, this is just how things work. They're told, we will not waive this rule just because you guys think we should. Exactly. It's like, who the heck are you? 
And here's where Tom Cahill's connections started paying off. Tommy Hicks, the RNC co-chair who had agreed to help the group with red tape, got the scientists in touch with a powerful person within the Trump administration, Nick Ayers. Nick Ayers is maybe Vice President Pence's closest aide, and he was almost the White House chief of staff himself. There's not a lot of people on Earth who can get through to Nick Ayers. The scientists were able to get through to Ayers, and they told him about the promise of monoclonal antibodies as a treatment, and that an FDA rule was slowing Regeneron down. Nick Ayers said he knew the right person to call at the agency. That very same day, Regeneron gets a call from the FDA. Hey guys, we changed our mind. It's all good. You can move that manufacturing abroad. We want as much of this antibody drug to be produced as possible. You have our permission. This was a win for these scientists. Through their connections, they were able to get the FDA to cut red tape. That showed what they were doing was starting to work. Coming up, the group taps more connections to get their ideas done. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back. Fresh off their victory with the FDA, the scientists set their sights on making another one of their ideas come to life a quicker way to find a drug treatment for coronavirus. Now, these scientists think that the quickest way to get an effective treatment is to use drugs which are already being used for something else. They say that the first drugs you should be testing are ones that have already been approved for other methods. So at least we know that they don't have some awful side effect in a majority of patients. The scientists thought one of the fastest ways to carefully test drugs on COVID patients would be to put those patients into clinical trials that were already underway. Now, could it have a bad reaction with a COVID patient? Sure, that's part of the risk. But these scientists would argue waiting a year is a greater risk. And the number of people who we know will die if we don't have an effective treatment for this very, very soon is a far worse consequence then approving a drug may be incorrectly early that might not be perfect. The group turned to the biggest health system in the country, the Department of Veterans Affairs. They thought that the VA would be able to put COVID patients into its existing trials. To contact the VA, the scientists enlisted help from one of the people who had unexpectedly dialed in to that very first conference call, the investor Michael Milken. So... 
through their connections at the VA, and they spoke directly to the head of the VA about this. They said, you know what you should really do is you should take some of the drugs that you're already testing people with, put COVID patients in it. It may work, it may not work, but instead of having to design a whole new trial, you already have a trial. All you have to do is take the patients that are already in that hospital that you already know have COVID, just put them into that trial and you may get lucky. After the call, the group heard that its suggestion was being fast-tracked. Just a month after these scientists got together, several of their major proposals are either being considered by government officials or are in the process of being implemented. So one of Tom Cahill's investors, Stephen Paliuka, asked the scientists if they could think about a different topic, how to reopen America. And the group came up with several recommendations like wearing masks all day at work and school and having Americans report their symptoms daily into a smartphone app. Its key recommendation probably won't come as much of a surprise, a dramatic expansion of testing. But where the group differs from the mainstream is what kind of test and how it's administered. They say, we need to stop having nurses test people. You're not going to be able to test 330 million Americans by having healthcare professionals doing the testing. We have to design a way where that everyone can do it. They are suggesting a system done every day at the end of the day. So you leave school, you leave work, you spit into a test tube. Then by the next morning, you have results. So it's about a very fast turnaround and a much easier process. And does this test exist right now? It does exist. It, again, would need a lot of FDA approvals, and it would need just an absolute ton of money to provide it, especially if you wanted to redo it every day for every American. These recommendations have already reached the highest authority in many of the scientists' home state, Massachusetts. Their route to Governor Charles Baker was through Steve Paliuka, the person who encouraged the scientists to think about this topic in the first place. His connection? He owns the Boston Celtics. And one of the nice things about owning a sports team is you can, you know, get people to call you back. So the owner of the Celtics calls Charlie Baker, the Republican governor of Massachusetts. And they had a long chat about this. And what they mostly talked about was reopening. And they're going to be doing a lot of these things. What does it say about the U.S. coronavirus response that a group of outside scientists needed to come together to find solutions in fighting the virus and also had to figure out ways to access the administration? Okay, so depending on your outlook... This is either the greatest or the worst thing. If you believe in America, in the traditional ingenuity of America, this is people taking what advantages they have in a crisis and applying it for the common good. This is a billionaire saying, hey, I've got the right guy for you to call. This is a scientist saying, I have a great idea. On the other hand, if you are someone who thinks that the Trump administration has had a haphazard response here, if you think that they haven't themselves been coming up with the right ideas, then the fact that an outside group of people have to be in some ways dictating national policy, it probably confirms your, uh, your own beliefs about the administration. for today, Wednesday, April 29th. 
The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like the show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We come out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.